Hello, hello and welcome to the Jared Show. I am Javad Malik. As always, pleasure to be your host. And today it is the camera episode. Welcome to the Jarek Show, featuring your hosts, Javad Malik and Eric Crone. Timely topics, poorly presented. And alongside me, as always, is the dashingly handsome in his new office, might I add, Eric Crone. Yes, yes, it's nice to be here. And yes, we have the, the new office, the new background. Um, we're just trying to, you know, up the ante a little bit here and uh, become a little bit more um, presentable. Mm -hmm. Speak for yourself. So is that a real background you have behind you? Is that just It, a, it is. No, that, that is a real background. It is not a green screen or anything. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I got to say, I know that you put a little effort into yours as well, although that whiteboard still looks crooked. No, no, no. It's only because I've got it at an angle, but I assure you, I assure you that is straight. Oh, let me just... Just, just because, ladies and gentlemen... The between the ceiling and the whiteboard, it was equal from that side to that side. It's only because this is at an angle, but... Yes, you did bully me into straightening that up a few days ago. I had to wake up super early, take it off, draw new holes, fill in new old holes, paint painted it. everything. Yeah, it was amazing, actually. Um, so uh, for those of us uh, on the podcast listening to this from there, um, I've been harassing poor Javad about his whiteboard behind him for ages now because he put it up crooked. But he did fix it, although his camera is still <laughs> angled right now. So, you know, we'll have to see how this works out. Anyways, uh, let's move on to some stories today, Javad. What do you say? Yeah. So like I said in the pre-roll, we are talking about uh, cameras today. What do cameras know about you and what do you know about your camera? So uh, security startup uh, Vercada, Vercada. Um, they are a manufacturer of smart cameras. Uh, many organizations bought their products because they're, they're cool. You just drill them in, put them in the wall, and then you can monitor them uh, from wherever you are uh, without running expensive cables all the way around the country. Um, they had um, cameras installed by the likes of Tesla, uh, in the NHS here in the UK, and uh, all these kinds of things. But apparently, apparently they left uh, one of their admin passwords lying around somewhere um someone was walking along they said oh what's this it looks like a password of some sort they put it in and all of a sudden they could access every single one of these cameras uh what do you make of it eric yeah so apparently this was a, a password that was posted on the internet somewhere and, and they ran across it now i think it's interesting it's it's considered a startup with one hundred and fifty thousand cameras <laughs> i mean that's that's a pretty significant startup quite frankly um, but the interesting thing or, the, or the, the sad thing about this is not only did they have um, all of this information, but they also apparently had like past video and they had uh, archives uh, that they could get to using this and the whole nine yards. So, um, you know, it, it's just it's one of these lessons where we have to understand that cameras are everywhere. Surveillance is everywhere. I understand it in the UK. You guys have quite the CCTV set up. Um, where here, you know, we're still getting it around a little bit more, um, but but we're always on camera. There's always cameras everywhere, and in this case, again, something simple like leaving a password out there uh, has allowed these people to access all of this information. And, and you mentioned in the NHS, there were some uh, some issues there where uh, you know they were in medical places as well. So not a good look, unfortunately. 
No, no, not at all. I, I think that there's some of the, the clients um, are like um, gyms, hospitals, jails, schools, police stations, uh, even Vokada's uh, own offices. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I believe there was some facial recognition stuff going on here too, um, where they could get access to that. And of course, uh, there were some uh, some issues in a police station where they were having like uh, people in booking rooms actually being, you know, uh, seeing that kind of video. That could be pretty ugly if they start rolling that out there for everybody else, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I think one of the things I was thinking of is that um, the question arose, like, is this a GDPR violation for, for uh, us in the UK, especially in regards to the NHS? And the question is, well, it depends on what data that was captured. Thing is, it's not very easy. You, you need to go through it manually uh, or by and large to go through and see where people's identities exposed, where any customer records available and picked up on the camera. But it's not as easy as doing a, a, a command line search across a database to see what data was stored and what could have been exposed. So, so it, that, yeah, that's an interesting point. And I, I'm just I'm just sitting here noodling through this as, as you said that, because you know, with GDPR, is it a matter of, you know, when when data is removed, then that could be an issue. But, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words and what is video, right? It's a bunch of pictures. So is it a GDPR violation if the video is lost where they could then find the person through like a Google image lookup or something like that, um, facial recognition, if they could find that information from there, is that a GDPR violation? That's a really interesting angle. I believe so. I believe so. Because if you can pinpoint someone as being at the hospital in so-and-so procedure area or treatment zone, you've exposed a lot of information or you can infer a lot of information from that, even if it's not explicitly mentioned there. But yeah, I very see interesting. Eric Crone in, this, in the neurosurgeon's clinic having an MRI, uh, lying down in the MRI machine that covers the brain and the neck, I can infer some things about your your health and well-being at that point. It's interesting that you know that I've already done that. So <laughs> oh, They were using Vokanda's cameras in the, in the office. And apparently, was... apparently, yeah. <laughs> All right. So what else we got? So um, th that's one thing. Um, so, so before actually we, we wrap up, I think, it's uh, it's a good reminder for organizations if you're buying any of these internet connected things. And I think from a purist security perspective, it's very easy to say, well, if it's connected to the internet, it's not secure. So the only secure camera is one that doesn't have any smart capabilities, but we know that's not practical. Um, I think one of the, the, the real uh, tests is that um, review what can be accessed uh, by whom, uh, Simple things like, can you change the admin password once you get it? Does it actually force you to change the admin password on first install? That That's an important first step. Uh, can you disable backups going to the cloud? Or, and can you force them to go into your own network so that they're not accessible outside of your environment? Um, do they have a patching process in place? So if there is a vulnerability found, how does the vendor push out a, a patch? Does it go directly to the cameras? If so, what else can they push directly to cameras? Or do they send it to you? And if so, how do you then upload those to all the cameras? These are all logistical things that I think not many people think about uh, because, you know, let's face it, a lot of these purchases are made by physical security teams and very little involvement is by uh, cybersecurity. But these are all uh, software controlled 
devices. The, the camera is just the physical manifestation of it, but it's all software. So um, get someone from cybersecurity involved. So as you mentioned that though, Javad, um, I have a bunch of cameras here in my house that are called uh, they're Dahua or Dahua or something like that. I don't even know how to say it right. Um, but they have been rumored to call back home to China quite a bit, right? So um, I knew that going into it, so I took steps. They're all on their own subnet. Um, they speak to a what's called a Blue Iris server that has two network cards in it. One is on its own subnet. And then I can access it through the other one on my main subnet and be able to see it. But there's no way they can get to the internet the way that I have these put out there. So I knew the risks and I adjusted for it. And I love the quality from the cameras. I love what goes on with them. But uh, it is an interesting point. The average person is just going to pop those in and boom, next thing you know, they're connected out there. And, and we don't necessarily think about that. Like you said, even on the physical security side, those folks don't necessarily think about that. Mm, mm, indeed, indeed. So, so that's one thing about about this camera. And, and and another aspect we think about a lot when it comes to photos, and particularly from an OSINT perspective, is uh, metadata. And uh, metadata captures a ton of information in the background. What was the camera model? What the date and time was when it was taken, the location, all that kind of thing. Um, but you can turn that off. And a lot of privacy conscious people end up turning it off. Um, a lot of websites actually strip that information out for you now. So when you upload it to certain social media sites, they will strip it out so no one else can download the picture and then uh, do a lookup on, on that. But apparently there are other ways you can gather data from uh, these um, these photos that, that are not pure metadata. And there's Dr. Jennifer uh, Goldbeck, who is at the University of Michigan, has an amazing TikTok account that we, we just discovered this week. And um, so let's just, uh, let me just pull up the... It's on a camera Facebook's filed a patent for their people you may know feature. Let me just, oh, that you might want to let's just do that from the beginning. Facebook okay. can figure out people that you might know by analyzing the patterns of dust and scratches on a camera lens. Facebook's filed a patent for their people you may know feature, the thing that recommends someone that you might want to become friends with. And the way that it works is this. Imagine we're at an event and I'm taking pictures. I take a photo of you that you really like. We don't know each other, but I show it to you, I send it to you, and you post it on your Facebook page. I do the same thing with someone else. So none of us are in the same pictures, none of us know each other. I've just taken a picture of you and someone else and you've both posted them on your Facebook page. Facebook can then analyze the dust and lens scratches that were on my camera and find the invisible artifacts that those have left in the photo to determine that you both had your picture taken by me at the same time and then recommend that you become friends. When reporters found this patent, Facebook did not. That's quite amazing. That's quite scary as well. Um, so just to clarify in case the audio wasn't clear on that, and we'll, we'll post links to, to Jen's TikTok account and, and this video and uh, Twitter account. Um, is that every camera is unique because of the wear and tear on it. There are pixels that are uh, missing sometimes, there are scratches on the lens, there are dust, there's other artifacts. So if it knows that two people have had their photo taken by the same camera, it will start to recommend, hey, you might be friends with each other, um, which is pretty creepy. Uh, th this kind of reminds me of when Messenger, a few years back, I, I, I assume they still do it, they were accessing all your contacts and what was happening is that patients of the same um, therapist were getting referrals for each other to become friends. 
because they both had the same therapist phone number in their data. So um, I don't know, Eric, what, what do you make of this? This is quite unique. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And and I've been, you know, I've been aware of the the individual characteristics of cameras for a while. So I, I've done a lot of stock photography in my past. Um, uh, I still sell on micro stock sites, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that's uh, that's that's a tool in say Lightroom is you can actually go through and if you have dust on your sensor, you can actually set it to repair this little area. And then all of the pictures you've taken when you bring it in, part of the workflow is to automatically correct that, right? So thinking back on that and going, you know, that is definitely a point of, uh, of information that I never thought about using it for this sort of way. But you know that every single picture has this little area. Like you said, it may be one tiny little pixel or one may be a little bit dark or something like that. And you can adjust for that in post-processing. But to use it in this way to now tie people together um, and, and maybe even getting to the point that you can pinpoint the person that took that photo. Let's say it's a photo of something um, that, uh, you know, is maybe questionable or let's say, uh, let's go, you know, total tinfoil hat here, government surveillance. And they see you took a photo of somebody in something they don't like. Well, now all of a sudden they can pinpoint it back to you and that specific camera, kind of like what we saw a long time ago. Um, where the gal had sold some, uh, stole some information, printed it, and they were able to tie it back to them because of individual prints from that can or from that printer that embedded some things. Right, this isn't embedding it, but it's using the same kind of information. So it's actually quite scary uh, when you start thinking about stuff like this. It is. You're right, and I, I remember that the printers, and even before that, in in uh, Cold War Russia, there was the typewriters that had the the same feature built in so that if you were typing up any propaganda material, they could uh, actually find out who, who typed it up and, and come back for you. But this is kind of like a, almost like a, a natural um, uh, identifier that they're using yeah. to, to try and track you. So it's, uh, so this is the link uh, that, that the good doctor has posted to the patent. You can see it's uh, currently assigned to Facebook. Now, this doesn't actually prove that they're using it. I mean, they could be using other methods. And she says that in a video. But the, the fact is that it's it's a technique that can be used. So I do recommend go, go follow Jen on uh, Twitter or TikTok. Uh, doc, uh, Dr. Jen Golbeck is uh, her Twitter uh, TikTok account. And uh, yeah, it's really good. And speaking of Lightroom and fixing some of your uh, your scratches, um, surprise, surprise, uh, Adobe had uh, some uh, security fixes released. Uh, are you a user of these products? Did this impact you? Yeah, you know, I, I have used a lot of Adobe stuff. Um, we use like, uh, you know, Adobe, um, uh, the PDF one. We got, you know, we, we use that kind of stuff quite a bit. And this is this is in place so often across so many different areas. That's where this gets a little bit crazy. And I think there were eight different vulnerabilities um, that were fixed in this patch. And a majority of them were uh, critical because they allowed remote code execution, which is always kind of a scary thing. Whenever you have something that allows remote code execution, that's obviously got to be a critical one uh, to look at. And to be able to do this across something as big as the Adobe suite, um, this was a pretty big one. And, and I haven't seen a whole lot flowing around out there about this, but this is pretty significant, actually. It is indeed. It is indeed. And, you know, I, 
so so this is one part where I'm 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 kind of like torn. Like Adobe, they moved everything into their cloud platform, so Photoshop and Lightroom and Premiere, whatever it is, it's all there. And um, I've never been a big fan of it uh, purely because it just costs more money <laughs> on a monthly basis. You feel like I have to use a product because I'm paying five dollars or ten dollars or whatever it is uh, a month for it. But it 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 also does show that it does create these um while it creates a far more seamless patching process and uh, you can roll out new features and you don't need to down wait a year for the new magazine to come out where you pull off the new photoshop cd and you install it once a year that the updates i'm dating myself by saying that but um you know it, it, it also does form this this point of failure as well whereas the main infrastructure is is it is compromised or attacked or if you you yourself have lost internet connectivity you, you kind of like are, are at the mercy of um a lot of factors that are outside of your control so i, I think that that's that's something that i i often think about and you know it's, it's always here or there when it comes to um to this kind of model yeah i've never been a huge fan of the subscription model quite frankly um, and like you i think it's because it ends up costing you so much more um, it, it really doesn't. Yes, it's nice to be able to update to the newest, latest, greatest version, but I find that a lot of times I don't need those features um, that are in the latest, greatest version, and yet it costs significantly more as we continue to go down that road. So, um, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there. I believe uh, you can still download um, Adobe CS2 Photoshop for free, actually, and it's a legit download the whole nine yards. Uh, if I'm not mistaken out there. So you can run it locally uh, if you need to. But, uh, you know, it is an older version. So who knows? It is what it is, right? It is. It is. And before you tell me off, uh, com. if you want to listen to the podcast, The Jarek Show on uh, Twitter and on YouTube. And I, I haven't told you this, Eric, but for most of this episode, you've been heavily pixelated. So uh, people are going to... See an improvement. It was really funny because a lot of it, you your face was pixelated, but the background still looked quite nice. So um, nice, yeah. lovely, so, lovely. That's uh, compression artifacts, as you know. <laughs> and you've you have the, this weird mask in the in the top corner on your on your shelf. Do, do you no? do you go to those kind of parties often? No, that was actually from my uh, my stepbrother. He uh, he worked in New Orleans for a number of years, so that's a Mardi Gras mask that, that he got. It was a Christmas gift, man. A Christmas gift. Back off, all right? Oh, oh, oh. And, and you've got a dad on, on the shelf under that. Is that something you've got to remind yourself that you've got a dad, or is that something your kids gave to you to remind you that you're a dad? Uh, this one right here, actually, it has little things on it. You can put pictures of the kids on it as well. So I, I will say this. I did not decorate um, all of this stuff. My wonderful wife did an amazing job making it look good. I'd have just piled crap on there, you know, um, like like over here is is the stuff that I did. There's a can right there of a chocolate covered scorpions from RSA like eight years ago or 10 years ago. You know, that that's my work. The rest of it, all her. Uh, so, so what? What's one of your favorite books in the background there? Um, well, we all know that Eric actually doesn't read books, so he's got nothing to say. Uh, we'll get Mrs. Crone on next week, and we ask her what are the best books. Until then, uh, stay secure, my friends. <laughs>